0: Can you imagine what it was like when you were teaching and if I asked you to remember that one class, that one class that was just such a challenge to connect with, you had that class in mind? And what if we inserted as well a story of the turning point of when you figured it out? Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it's just something that happened. But there was a spark of a connection. And it's that story where we start with my guest today, Rich Milner. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. It's basically like a Fitbit for teachers, helping them be mindful of teacher talk versus student talk. Get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting TeachFX.com forward slash BL. BS. In the Mastermind, we believe that questions are better than answers and that there's power in connecting with other elite performers. Kevin, a principal in Tunisia, had this to say about his Mastermind experience. I feel more connected to the everyday changes in education. In addition to being more informed, I feel empowered to bring new educational ideas and strategies to my team at my school. We'd love to serve you in the mastermind and welcome your application. Enroll today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Hello, Ruckus Makers. I'm here today with H. Richard Milner IV, also known as Rich, a Cornelius Vanderbilt Distinguished Professor and Chair of Education and Professor of Education in the Department of Teaching and Learning at Peabody College of Vanderbilt University. His research, teaching, and policy interests concern urban education, teacher education, African-American literature, and the social context of education. Professor Milner's research examines practices and policies that support teacher effectiveness in urban schools. Professor Milner's work has appeared in numerous journals, and he has published seven books His most recent are Start Where You Are, But Don't Stay There, Understanding Diversity, Opportunity Gaps, and Teaching in Today's Classrooms, Racing to Class, Confronting Poverty and Race in Schools and Classrooms, and These Kids Are Out of Control, Why We Must Reimagine Classroom Management for Equity. Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dan, for having me. So I'd love for you to bring us to English too back when you were a teacher, and you shared with me that there was a a pretty vulnerable moment that you experienced with your students. Tell us that story.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that I think is important to remember as I contextualize that story a bit is I was a first-year teacher, you know, very early in my career, and I was doing everything in my power just to keep my head above water. And uh, I'll never forget the day that the, the administrative, this is one of my classes that I struggled, you know, to to connect with. And this was on one of those days when, you know, things were not going that great. And to add to that, uh, the administrative associate at our school knocked on the door and I taught on a mobile. And so I remember stepping out on the, the, the little porch area there and the administrative assistant told me that my, my grandmother had passed, had, had you know, transitioned, died. And I thanked her. And this was pre-everyone having a cell phone on the desk. Right. And I remember stepping back in the classroom and I started back teaching. Right. I started back teaching and I didn't I didn't you know, I didn't think a lot about it. And I broke down and I started crying. And it was in that moment that it was almost like Walls came tumbling down, right? It was a way for my young people, for the young people with whom I was working to connect with me. And I. And that was a powerful moment for me, Dan, because what I came to understand in that moment was even though the students sometimes gave me a tough time, some days they wouldn't do any work. Let's just be frank. Like, you know, I could pretend like I was all outstanding and, you know, but there, there were days when they said, nope, I'm not going to bother anybody, but I'm not doing any work today, Rich. You know, Doc or, or Mr. Milner at that point. And but in that moment, it felt like students saw me as a real person. They saw me as a real person.
0: Yeah, and and I can only imagine, you know, uh, uh breaking down in front of the class. I, I I don't know. I don't know that I ever experienced that as a teacher, as a principal I did. We had uh we had uh a staff member who lost her daughter to suicide and just having, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell him that, you know, but just to say that, that uh, we lost her, you know, and being able to share that message, right. was just so, so uh, powerful. And I think we connected as well. So thank, thank you for sharing about that. And I don't know, can you, can you dig a bit more in like just about those barriers coming down and the relationships being built and why that's so important?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, what I, what I found was that Students saw me as a mentor, even though uh again they may not have ever you know expressed it overtly, but they saw me as as someone who you know, they looked up to. You know, if they saw you in the, you know, I always say, you know, if a if a student sees you in the supermarket, they lose their minds, right? You know, when students see you in the restaurant, they really lose their minds. Like, oh, you know, he goes out to eat, right? And, you know, and that's just the you know, and, 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 uh, and for me, I think it provided a space for me to realize and to recognize that I'm one of these folks who will stay up late, get things done, right? It just it just demonstrated in that moment that students needed to see me as a real person, right? And I'm reminded of, you know, there's a, a story about Nick Saban, who is the, the football coach at Alabama. And let's just say he's a pretty darn good football coach, right? He's, he's had some success. Uh-huh. But you're in Tennessee, so you can't tell this story. Oh, I mean, oh, well, you know, that's, <laughs> for the students I can, right? For the young folks I can. And my wife is a Tennessee alum, so you know she really would, would be upset if she if she heard me tell the story. But they, they were interviewing the uh, the players, and they asked the players, you know, they say, you know, it's like you wake up early, you do this PT. With for, for you know for Nick you know you you, you go to class and you engage and, and and the reporter asked something said something like it's almost like you'll walk through a wall for Nick and those young people didn't miss a beat and they said yes because we believe he will walk through a wall for us. That was an illuminating mo- again there are these moments right in our lives that really shape. That was a powerful moment for me as an educator right. Because it's not only about developing relationships to get through the day, right? Young people need educators. They need adults. They need people in their lives. From my view, based on what I've come to understand from, you know, about 20 years of, of, of studying these, these these interactions and these practices, they need adults in their lives whom they believe will walk through a wall for them. So it's not only about how do I get through the day, right, in a, a cordial interaction with my student it is not I'm going to get to know you because I'm going to advocate for you. I'm going to get to know you because I'm going to knock down walls for you on your behalf to make sure you get the education that you deserve. And so when I think about relationships, you know we often talk about them in this this sort of uh, conversational way, but we know from good science, from great research that relationships are key. And what I took from that moment, right, uh, was that the relationship building and the relationship sustaining and the relationship uh, cultivation has to be essential throughout the teaching and learning exchange. What, what we often teach in teach Red is get to know your students on the first day of class. Or, you know, you might even spend a whole week, you know, designing and developing Uh, tools or mechanisms to learn, but the teachers who are most effective, right, tend to be those folks who understand that this relational work, the relationship work, are essential every single day, every single day. And they also understand that if I'm not addressing and responding to the relational aspect of the work, the academic piece can't happen. So, in other words, sometimes you know the you know, we as educators will say, "Well, I have a real curriculum that I that I have to teach. I don't have time for that stuff." Right? The relational work is the work. Yeah, it is.
0: Uh, we used to when I was in school leadership at a local school, we'd say that first week, right? Not even the first day. Don't get into class like stuff. Stop. Stop with the books and the academics. There's going to be plenty of time for that. It's one of those go slow to go fast. And if you don't build a solid foundation, and it's just that quote, right? I don't, I don't care how much uh, you know until I know how much you care. That's it. And I was the type of teacher that you know, I would, I would call a kid if they were absent, and if they weren't sick, right? They're just like I didn't have a way to school. I go pick them up and bring them to school. You know. And there are a lot of things that I did, I think, you know, to build relationships. But I'd love to hear from you, too, um, you know, just some some interesting ideas, you know, over the years and your experience and expertise with that relationship building leader to staff or even staff to student. And let me throw in the wrinkle, too, you know, especially in situations where the educator might not look like his or her staff or his or her kids. Any any points on that where you can help us?
1: Absolutely. I think it's so important to remember. And this this the, the body of research that talks about the link or the connection between teacher and student is uh, so that work is is called ethnic matching. Right. when you think about, you know, there is and there is some compelling research that suggests that, you know, there are some huge benefits. Right. But what I also what I showcase and start where you are is it is. The relational, the relationship piece, that's more important. So, in other words, if you know, I have observed some outstanding white teachers of, of students of color. I have observed some outstanding, you know, uh, you know, uh, te- teachers of color with majority white students. You know, the and and that's you know, you just nailed in a lot of ways what's somewhat compelling about start where you are, compelling about the book. Because what I try to do is I, I showcase these these differences that make a difference, right? But how teachers are able to sort of build their toolkit, their repository, to be responsive in those spaces. And so, you know, th- this notion that, you know, teachers have to, and we have to as educators, we have to be our be our authentic selves, right? So... You know, I don't need you. To, young people don't need you to be more of who they are. They need you to be the best of who you are in order to complement and advance, uh, you know, their their identity spaces, their exposure to different kinds of things. They need you to be anti-racist. They need you to be, you know, pro-people, pro-equity, pro-justice, pro-life. You know, those are the things that that matter to young people more than these these other pieces, right? And but but, but when you don't come from the same community, when you don't share the same background, there are concrete, uh, iterative, uh, really transformative ways to build those links, to build those relationships. Uh, I talk very explicitly in the book about four areas, right? One is what I call community immersion, right? And the community immersion experiences uh, occur when you actually live in the community with your students, right? And we knew from with D said, right, we found uh, prior to Brown versus the Board of Education that teachers tended to live in the same community as their students. Right? I'll never forget as a student myself, my teacher My second grade teacher, uh, Louise Britt, Mrs. Louise Britt was her name, I'll never forget. She would take me, my mother was a beautician, and every other Thursday, every two weeks, she'd go to my mom's beauty salon. And on those days, I got to ride in the car with Miss Britt. Now, let me tell you something about Miss Britt. Miss Britt was not one of those teachers who was touchy-feely, who was overly kind or gracious, right? She was what they called a warm demander. She'd show up and, and you, I mean, we would be like, she is mean, right? We thought she was the meanest person in the world, but she was committed to our learning. She was committed to our learning and development. She'd say, you know, she said, you're not going out for recess. You're gonna do this. you're gonna have this work done before you leave school today. If you don't have it done, if you don't have your homework done. I mean, she epitomized, right, the kind of you know, relational capacity, uh, repertoire that show that shows up in different kinds of ways. What's my point? My point is each of us is different, right? So some of what we find with, and that was a that was a part of of, of, of that work for Louise Britt, right? It wouldn't necessarily work for me, right? I couldn't. I'm not the kind. So, you know, again, understanding who you are working with and what that those levels of needs are are essential. So, at the time, I couldn't stand them, right? I mean, I was like, this is the meanest person, right? But now I understand. I'm so glad I had Miss Britt. She was the best of the best, you know. As I reflect, but you know, back to the story. On on Thursday, I rolled to the beauty salon with Louise Brick, right? Because my mom was gonna do her in on those Thursdays. And on those Thursdays, she would stop. There was a restaurant in the South called Hardee's. I don't know if you have them anymore. It's a hamburger. It's like a McDonald's, uh, but she would, on Thursday, she would take me through the drive-through on the way to the beauty salon and she'd buy me a hamburger and French fries, right? And she even let me get a, a soda pop, right? And, th- and that, to me, I started to see her, and and then so I went, she would walk into the the beauty salon, and she would become this different person. She was laughing, and you, you know, know she, she could yeah, laugh, yeah, yeah, laughing and engaging with her, you know, with the with the other patrons in the salon. And I was thinking, who is this person, right? Who is this person that she smiles like you could actually, you know? But my point is, we take the best of what we have, right? take the best of what we know, right? In the in the in the interest of the young people with whom we're working. And we can we merge, we, 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 we respond to the needs of the young people in those spaces. So I was, I went to a Title I elementary school, right? Which meant which which means there were lots of of, of needs, lots of challenges in that space. Were it not for Louise Brick, I probably would not sit here today, right? So that's the power of who teachers are. Like, that's what motivates me, right, to want to study and want to document. Really what she was doing was providing opportunity. She was an opportunity-centered teacher. Right, yeah.
0: And I heard the the community immersion because there she is in the beauty salon. She's picking you up. You guys are going to to Hardee's. And I'm hearing the authentic, right? She was being her. Um, which you realize, you know, that's not necessarily how you would be able to effectively teach. My, my funny story with that is uh, also my first year teaching. Let's go to East Cobb Middle, Marietta, Georgia. Oh, Sixth yeah. grade English uh, language arts class. And uh, we, it was such a bizarre schedule. In the middle of the class period, we would go to lunch. Imagine that, like teaching for half a period, then going to lunch and then coming back and finishing. But it was, that was a, as a result of how big the school was and just getting creative with the schedule. So I take my sixth grade, rowdy sixth grade, right? Because uh, my classroom and how I authentically show up is it's, it's creative. I want kids to talk to each other and collaborate. I want them to sit together, right? We play music, music that they listen to, right? So that they feel seen and heard and experience um, the, the room as somewhere that recognizes who they are. So anyways, so that's that room. I'm a first year teacher and don't have all the confidence yet. And I walked by this eighth grade social studies teacher who is uh, ex-military, right? And this guy could get eighth grade students, the kings and queens of the school, to line up on these taped uh, parts outside of his class, single file, completely silent. And when he said, go into class, you may go in, they go in, yes, sir. And they go in, they would sit down, lot, rows of, cla- you know, rows of desks, they would do their worksheets. To me, it's terrible teaching looking back, right? Just worksheets, completely quiet. But I looked at that and I said, wow, he has control, right? That's effective teaching. I'm thinking, I'm going to try it. And Rich, I'm telling you, when I try to get my kids to line up in a single file and walk in, yes, sir. And Put the desk in rows. Oh, it was it was terrible. And in two two days, I knew that wasn't me, and uh, I had to abort. Like, there's no way I could continue showing up that way. It's not authentic. So I love this discussion. You've you've told two great stories, Miss Britt, and then uh, English too. I want to continue the discussion about opportunity-centered teaching in just a sec. But we're gonna pause here for a moment uh, for a message from our sponsors. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Katera's using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during covid Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right. And we're back with Rich Milner, professor, author. We've been talking about Start Where You Are, But Don't Stay There. But he has some other great books you should check out, Racing to Class confronting poverty and race in schools and classrooms, and these kids are out of control. Uh, We'll link up all that stuff, okay, for you within the show notes. So, Rick, we were just talking about uh, opportunity-centered connections and centered teaching, and so, yeah, let's let's go back to that. Let's go back to that immersion, and, and let's go back to those community connections.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I was derailed just a bit, but I, I got so excited, you know, but so, so, you know, I talk about this idea of I've come to understand, you know, these ways of learning from and learning with the community, right? And so I talked about community immersion, and I, I would sort of uh, classify that as like the ideal of ways to to build knowledge, right, or to build insights, about young people about the, the folks with whom you're working and but you know if you can't live in the community of young people there's a, another layer that I call community engagement and community engagement shows up when you actually uh, engage with education councils or you go to school board meetings and so forth again that layer of learning provides you with insights about ways to transform the curriculum, insights about how policies are made. You can make recommendations. You're able to build relationships with people outside of the classroom. Uh, and so I think that's another layer of what's important to think about as you try to, uh, you know, as, or as we as educators figure out ways to, to build those relationships. Uh, and then a third layer is what I call community attendance. And community attendance is what happens when you, uh, when you show up uh, at a, to a bar mitzvah or a dance or a, a football game or a basketball game or soccer or, game?
0: Or a yeah. black church, Or right? black church. Andre yeah. invited me to a Sunday worship experience. Did you go? Okay. Did you yeah, I up? went. And, you know, and okay, so I went on time, right? He told me to be there at 10, whatever. He's singing in the choir. So I go there at 10. Sorry to interrupt. I got, I got just oh, no, no. to just quickly. Yeah. Ten o'clock, and it—it's awesome. Music's great. Somebody shared a word. You know, amazing. Andre sings. I'm like, this is cool. This is amazing. And it's been like an hour, and I'm about to leave, right? And then all these other people start coming, <laughs> and the pastor shows up, and church begins. I'm like, whoa. Four yep. hours later, Rich. Yes, that was a a test of endurance for me, but I loved it. And I'll, I'll tell you, like. The pastor picked me out of the crowd and and uh, had me come up to the (laughs) come up to the altar, and we had an exchange, which was very you know, just it was a unique cultural experience, right? And it was one of those things. I looked, I was like, me? Is he pointing to me? He
1: was pointing to me. (laughs) (laughs) He started beckoning for you to come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so not only did that provide a space for you to understand that community and the worship experience. It, it was a it's a powerful way to demonstrate to students that you see them beyond the walls of the space. Right. And those students will, from what I've come to understand, and we know this, right. Students will jump over the moon for and with you. Right. When they know you have the best, when you, when you show up and you do those, when you're not on duty as well, right? So it's one thing to show up for that basketball game when you're on duty, right? It's a whole, and I, and, and these are examples that show up and manifest in the book. You know, I talk about Mr. Hall, who's a, a white uh, science teacher who has been teaching for about three years. And he he's one of the most reflective teachers in so far as that he has been able to sort of build these tools, right? To to connect with young people who who never saw themselves as science people, right? So he, he's in this middle school and he he shared this example about how one of the students in the class and you know he and I are about the same height. He's about five foot six, five foot seven, and he said one of his students you know, was about six feet and how you know the student was, was always he felt like the student was always. Sort of uh, testing him or whatever. They 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 have these conflicts and these conflicts. And he said one day the student got up and was was in his face and, and 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 he was you know they were going back and forth and the student walked out of the classroom right, slammed the door right, and he said the next day after school the same day he said he went up and he saw the student and the student was was playing was getting ready was uh, practicing basketball and so the student assumed that Mr. Hall had come up to, you know, I guess, tell on him or get him not to be able to practice. And Mr. Hall went up and started playing one-on-one with him, started playing basketball with him. Right? That, that level of – and he was like, Rich, I can't play basketball as, as well as, you know, a two-year-old. But the point was he was able to go up and he said the next day the student walked in and said, we cool. He was like, he didn't know what it happened, right? You know, it was, it was, again, it was that. And you know, sometimes, as we know, as students, as adolescents are growing and developing and so forth, we're coming into the place as educators with our own set of issues. Like, we're real people, right? And so, so to our students, so to our students. I remember doing a session with some young people. I had was invited to a community college to talk to some young people who are getting ready to graduate from high school and go into the community college. And I, I thought the session was designed for me to kind of talk to them about what they should do in terms of transitioning and so forth. And you know, I had my PowerPoint all ready, you know, ready to ready to go through the slides. And, and I realized, yeah, you know, it wasn't that engaging. So I stopped and just started having a conversation with them. And one of the one of the football players said, we, we, we I, mean, I started asking them about their experiences and so forth, and one of the football players said to me, "You know, I feel sad, and I don't know why." and that was a power it wasn't the powerful moment for me was not so much of the student saying that I felt that he felt sad. The powerful moment was his trying to understand why he was feeling sad right My, so the, so as as young people are grappling with changes in their body and changes. In friendship circles, and, and trying to negotiate, you know, conflicts with parents, and, and dating, and all of these these areas, right? It, it is there are days when I want to walk out and slam the door, right? And so, what Mr. Hall did was not say I'm going to write a referral, did not say I'm going to hold it against you. Mr. Hall's position was every day is a new slate, right? I see you as a developing being. I get it wrong sometimes you're gonna get it wrong sometimes, but we're in this thing together you're just giving uh you're giving kids a chance I mean, you're giving everyone
0: a chance right to to succeed and uh, be themselves, and that's so important so wow, rich, this has been great I think i I don't know if i if I missed I think we got through three of the four parts of opportunity center teaching, but I'm just going to encourage the ruckus maker listening to definitely go out and get start where you are, but don't stay there. Um, and we'll link up your other books in the show notes as well. So I'd love to ask you two questions. You know, I ask all my guests and, and the first one has to do with the marquee. So if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world, just for a day, what would you put on it?
1: You know, I would. I would put young people need to know them. you hear them and you see them every single day.
0: And then you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be
1: your top three priorities? Wow. The first thing I would do is we'd have to make sure that every young person experiences some form of joy every single day. And that joy would would emerge at the very beginning of the day. It would show up and manifest in different ways throughout the day. They would be joyful. They would be excited about not only engaging with what's happening in the place, but also thinking about their role and responsibilities outside. So the joy piece would be one of the things I would share. I think secondly, it would be a school where there would be no standardized tests. We would... Assessments would be formative. <laughs> you know, they would be. We would. They would be narrative uh, in nature. Uh, they would be guided by uh, conversation and communication. And there would be. It would be a space where any and every person in that community would be able to frequent and access 24 hours a day with state of the art technology state-of-the-art curriculum, and the like. And so it would be a place, almost like a 24-hour gym, if you would, like, you know, a place, you know, with lots of, of what I call, it would be an intellectual candy store, filled to the brim with great, great possibility.
0: That'd be a place uh, I'd like to stick around. So thank you for painting that picture. Well, Rich, um, thanks again for being a uh, uh, A guest here on the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. We talked about a lot, but of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? To
1: remember your why. Remember your why. Return to that why. When things get tough, this is a challenging time for all of us. I salute educators. Like, you know, I I often think, wow, what would I do if I sat in the shoes of, of, of some of the folks who. You know, who, who are teaching in the midst of, of policies that don't make sense, you know, who who get up and teach anyway when they're being beaten down in the media, who get up and teach anyway when students feel, uh, when students don't show up, who get up and teach anyway when funding and resources are not where they need to be, right? So remember the why in the midst of, of all of the, the challenges we face with COVID, with Black Lives Matter, Remember that why, because, and especially to teachers who are newer to the profession, like identify that why, write it down, <laughs> tell it to your, your, your colleagues, right? Tell it to someone you trust. And when things get tough, like I need you, we need you, we need you to, to get back to that why and to know to not quit, to, to maintain that resilience and to maintain that stick to itness. Because the students, although they may not say it, right. They see you as uh, as as real people who can potentially uh, you know, transform and make a difference in their lives.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email Daniel at betterleadersbetterschools dot com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader